Ramses the Great, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, Caesar Augustus, Jawaharl Nehru, Alexander the Great, Tang Taizong, Winston Churchill, Napoleon Bonaparte. All names of past leaders whose reputations of a great power, supremacy, and influence outside of their country's borders have left a legacy worthy of the history books. However, what about world leaders of the present day? Who are the types of leaders people are putting into power? From the charming French president Emmanuel Macron to the bullish Donald Trump, the various personalities being placed into power around the globe are definitely not from a common mold. I'm Scotty Nell Hughes, and on today's 360 View, we are going to look at why certain populations are electing different types of leaders, and which leaders will leave the most outstanding legacy for the present day era. Let's get started. A strong leader can be quantified in many ways. Does it serve today's society to judge the quality of our leaders on stereotypes formed by traditions made in the past? Well, we are joined by our international correspondent, Roxana Solano. What do you think of when you think of modern, strong, powerful leaders? Is it President Putin riding a bear? Is it Donald Trump making fun of his enemies? Regardless of whether or not we hold strong men leaders in awe or think they're a throwback to a less civilized era, it is clear that they're making at least a conditional comeback. Of course, there's President Putin of Russia. While reviled in the Western mainstream media, his own countrymen honor him as a leader who puts his people first when it comes to domestic and international politics. His alliance in all, but name only with another strong man, Xi Jinping of China, is challenging almost a century long of U.S. dominance of the global geopolitical scene. Then, of course, there was Donald Trump in the United States. His image as a no-nonsense anti-intellectual hero won him the hearts and minds of at least half of the American population. And it seemed like his opponents had to move heaven and earth to oust him finally in 2020. Most recently, we have seen the rise in power to El Salvadorian President Najib Bukele. He created a 40,000 mega prison as part of his promise when he took office to clean up the gang violence in the country. La paz se construye con trabajo, con sudor, con esfuerzo y con la valentía que tienen ustedes y sus hermanos policías. Debe tener algo que le indica que uno es parte de algo más importante que uno mismo y que vale la pena arriesgar la vida por eso que es más importante que uno mismo. In a now viral speech to his troop, Bukele called on people to look to God and faith to lead the country through hard times. El Salvador had been crippled by gang-related violence from MS-13 and Barrio 18. A year of mass incarcerations had been greatly supported by the people of El Salvador. But there are others who seem to fit this trend. Jerry Bolsonaro had the image of a tough guy in Brazil before he also lost his latest election to Lula da Silva. And in Europe, there are other examples. Victor Orban comes to mind. His prioritizing of Hungarian interest has put him in direct conflict with the EU technocrats. And then there is Giorgia Meloni in Italy, who, though while technically a strong woman leader, has used strong rhetoric 
on immigration to whip up the base and drive her into office. Of course, we cannot go too far with the image of strong man leader. Certainly, people like Emmanuel Macron of France and Justin Trudeau fit into a more quote-unquote civilized image of a world leader, and they have certainly held onto power in their respectively countries effectively. But with the rise of nationalism and anti-globalism the world over, it looks like we could be seeing more populist leaders coming to the fore with rhetoric to protect borders, preserve traditions, and to focus on the local population over and against multinational corporations. For 360 View, I'm Roxana Solano. Joining me now to discuss is author and international presenter Ashton Bertansi and host of Going Underground. Ashton, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to start off. Do you think that President Donald Trump's election and his whole persona actually set the stage for not only a strong masculine type of leadership in the U.S., but also around the globe? I don't really think so. I mean, one has to admit that Trump, uh, for all his sins, is a strong leader only in the sense that occasionally, and very occasionally during his presidency, did he appear to uh, somehow not do what he was supposed to, like all presidents are supposed to do. So is that strength occasionally, very occasionally, and sometimes doing spectacularly stupid things uh, against the advice of, uh, some would say, the military-industrial complex, uh, other times actively pursuing policies that uh, were good but weren't. Is that strong strength we think of historically as uh, the masterminding a grand strategy? It's very difficult to see in the Trump term a master strategy, although out of office, of course, there has been a grand strategy, hasn't there, to win a second term? Well, it's interesting you talk about strength. There's the strength that you personify to the outside, and there's the strength, obviously, the inner strength that a lot of leaders are expected to have. But when it comes to those, the, the stereotype that's put out to people, do you think this type of masculine, strong man leadership is usually associated only with the right-leaning movements and right-wing populist leaders around the globe? I think the whole strongman idea of history, championed by Thomas Carlyle at the end of the 19th century, is largely debunked. It was promoted by William James, the psychologist philosopher from New York in the 19th century, and kind of destroyed, apart from a bit of Max Weber on Hitler. I mean, you know, it isn't great men. Uh, that uh, I'm not saying Hitler was a great man, but you know, these strong macho individuals, it was structures, it was the Treaty of Versailles, arguably, that catalyzed uh, Nazi Germany. It was uh, other events that catalyzed Napoleon. It, the whole idea of great men in this way is a myth which actually protects power structures, because it's after all the power structures that are there. And thankfully, some might say, and Trump supporters would say, there are structures in the United States that are willing to uh, support and create the conditions in which someone like Trump can actually overthrow prevailing opinion and the way it's always done, Democrat, Republican, as usual kind of politics. So um, rather than uh, ascribe all the uh, change and all the power to great men, uh, it really tends to be structures uh, I, I think, even when it comes to, of course, uh, on the left, men like Che Guevara uh, and uh, Fidel Castro and, you know, they're quite a little left-wing strong men uh, as well in history, let alone on the right. 
Well, it's interesting you bring that up because you you know you look through history, you look at people like we were talking about Ramses the Great earlier, we were talking about Caesar Augustus. You can bring in history, and there are a variety of personalities. So you're saying it's necessarily the structure that create that shows strength, especially when you're looking back on history, not necessarily the personality of the leader that's elected at that time. I think so, and I think we now know that it's not really to do with identity politics because recently, I think finally, because of the COP27 conference, maybe. No, I think it was the Syria, uh, Syria war that people began to understand Queen Zenobia and the power of the great uh, Syrian uh, ancient uh, queen uh, of Syria, uh, not to name drop. I think it was uh, the famous uh, uh, director, um, uh, director of... Uh, uh, which film was it now? That I, he was scouting for locations in Palmyra before the war started to uh, resurrect the idea of uh, Queen Zenobia. Of course, in Egypt, we had Cleopatra. And gosh, the number of Russian famous uh, queens that, uh, that were uh, powerful and uh, thought of in much the same way as the great men uh, history myth continues as well. But we also talk about there has to be an element of narcissism that goes into those that run for office. And, and there's obviously a difference between the legacy leaders, the ones that inherit their position and their power, versus those that are elected by the people. You look at the current leadership around the world today, the countries of those that are being elected, uh, and you cannot say that someone like a uh, Ma Emmanuel uh, Macron and a Justin Trudeau is in the same category as those that I even say, you know, a Donald Trump or even a, a Bolsonaro-type personalities. The four are completely different in personalities in that side of it. So what do you say about the reflection of the people when they elect someone that might be considered more passive uh, versus someone that's actually outwardly very bullish? I was just thinking of Justin Trudeau. I still remember that uh, encounter with Xi Jinping where he was just dressed down like he was some little child. But then again, was Bolsonaro really that tough? Was uh, Duterte really that tough? Duterte keeps the U.S. bases there all the time. Was Bolsonaro a servant of oligarchs in Brazil? In which case, uh, the people that are considered by many as strong people, are they not merely engaging with uh, public relations and marketing in such a way as to produce that image? Just as Justin Trudeau, for him, the idea is, why don't, uh, why don't I seem uh, less of a big, powerful man, and that will help me win votes at, a, at uh, my constituency uh, level that I want to? So I'm not sure whether this is really reading in um, different PR tactics. And uh, actually, most leaders, maybe every leader, that would be pretty sad, is, uh, is uh, well, no matter how narcissistic they are, relatively weak and a prisoner of those structures. And the reason why they get to be those leaders uh, is more often than not because they do reflect a wider opinion, even in countries that aren't uh, seen as democracies, they do reflect a wider opinion of what it should be to be a leader. And of course, uh, the promises made by those leaders to those electorates before, more often than not, the promises uh, and the trust uh, is all uh, hopelessly dashed. When we come back, we will continue our conversation with Afshin Ratanzi and look at why some of the most brash leaders seem to lead towards nationalism instead of globalism. When all truths seem wrong, 
when old rules just don't hold. And a new world is yet to shape out. Disdain becomes the etiquette. And engagement equals betrayal. When so many find themselves worlds apart, we choose to look for common ground. Hi, I'm Rick Sanchez, and I'm here to plead with you, whatever you do, do not watch my new show. Seriously, why watch something that's so different? Why listen to opinions that you won't get anywhere else? Look, if it pleases you to have the State Department, the CIA, weapons makers, multi-billion dollar corporations choose your facts for you, go ahead. Why change? And whatever you do, don't watch my show. Stay mainstream, because I'm probably going to make you uncomfortable. My show is called Direct Impact. But again, you probably don't want to watch it, because it might just change the way you think. I'll look forward to talking to you all. That technology should work for people. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Show your identification. We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. Uh, the point, obviously, is to create uh, trust uh, rather than fear. I would like to take on various jobs. I mean, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. A robot must protect its own existence as own existence. If you speak Russian, keep your voice down while out and about. Don't put your homeland symbols on display. Don't talk to strangers. Avoid noisy gatherings and rallies. Even your colleagues and perhaps also your friends think you're guilty because you're Russian. Они начинают говорить о том, что мы вас найдем, мы вас знаем всех в лицо. Ходите, оглядывайтесь. Ответственность коллективная, даже вот детям достается. Были избиения детей. Когда действительно ребенок попал в больницу, и об этом сообщили полиции, то есть это все вышло на официальный уровень. Welcome back. Joining me again to continue our discussion is author and international presenter Afshin Ratanzi and host of Going Underground. Well, you mentioned some of the great leaders, uh, female leaders, that Russia's been able to see in their history. We just saw Georgia Malonia, or Maloney elected in Italy, taking on that very strong style, at least publicly. Uh, it's not only for men, correct, when you look at some of the females that are being elected. They're actually a lot more bullish. They're a lot more, you know, stand up in the room uh, than others would have to be, that men even would have to be. Do you think that that kind of style is not just reflective in the men, but other women in history? 
I mean, I think identity politics, we've seen the effects of it uh, as identity politics has increased uh, in pace over recent decades. It's led to wars that have killed, wounded or displaced tens of millions of people. So I'm fearful of ever ascribing those uh, identity ideas to leadership in any case. Would it have mattered if Obama had been a white man? I mean, he dropped bombs on uh, predominantly uh, people of color living in those places. It made very little uh, difference, uh, I suppose, if a uh, LGBTQ uh, leader, I think there are some, and they backed wars that how many LGBTQ people died in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and uh, uh, and other, other countries. So regardless, of uh, sex, I'm not actually sure that, that uh, that's that important. If we think of Mrs. Thatcher, her cabinet were famously all men, and the other women politicians said she she preferred men around her. But then on the other hand, were there men pulling the strings around her in her premiership? As regards Italy, uh, so far, it has to be said, I've seen very little uh, to uh, suggest that she is going to depart uh, from the uh, scripts given to her, um, I was going to say NATO from Jens Stolten's work, but uh, actually probably from uh, from Mr. Blinken at the uh, U.S. State Department. Well, it's interesting because I think you hit the nail on the head. It has to do with the structure and what's going on with the countries. And so far, right now, it seems in the present, there's a lot of countries that obviously, when they're not happy with how things are going, they look to a new leader to, I guess, adjust things and, and make things go in the other direction. In that idea, do you see a style of leadership fitting in with the trend? You're right, not identity politics, but maybe towards nationalism away from globalism. And how is that reflective in the type of leader that they elect when they're actually looking for someone that goes opposite of the path that that country is on at the current moment? Yeah, nationalism has been and has always been potent, regardless of the, it has to be said, said the kind of ivory tower uh, academy views that nationalism was going to end somehow with the fall of the Berlin Wall. I mean, that was clearly a myth, and uh, there were people on the left, uh, predominantly, I'd say, who uh, uh, philosophized about this and wrote quite a lot about the importance of nationalism, I suppose, because they knew that nationalism has so often gone together with liberation movements, whether in Cuba uh, or throughout the global south. Now we have nationalism as another means of rebellion, a rebellion against neoliberalism. And that is what's uh, been happening, of course, around the world. But then we should be wary that, wary that, you know, Joe Biden does cloak himself in the flag, doesn't he? He's very proud of his uh, relatives and their service, uh, regardless of the fact that he appears to pump uh, ever more money into wars. But he knows nationalism plays well in the United States as well. And uh, of course, it happens the same uh, in, in Britain. Um, is the nationalism of those against neoliberalism more powerful, more potent a force? Uh, could that lead to fascism, as it does on the streets sometimes, uh, in their opposition as grand alliances from the extreme right to uh, those that are predominantly conservative try to overthrow this um, grand narrative of neoliberalism? These are all questions that are being debated in the academy, but sure, nationalism can go along with uh, with many things. Tell me, you're a student of history. You obviously look throughout history at the different times, the different cultures, and the people that they put into power. What is the big difference that you see between countries who elect 
their leader versus one that inherits their position of power. Is there a difference, uh, do you find, in their personalities and what is being expected of them, uh, depending on how they actually rose to that office? You're not insulting King Charles III here on uh, your program, are you, Scott? That was, that was I mean, not that's, an that's insult, not at all. You're watching the crown too much. <laughs> no, but in fairness, the court, it's a constitutional monarchy, no power except right. to ex extort, uh, extort the taxpayer, uh, hundreds of millions. It's been recently estimated uh, from British uh, public money to pay for his palaces. Uh, inherited uh, leaders, I'm not sure they have them that many. I mean, the powerful countries, I think um, in uh, NATO nation stenographer media, they talk about Xi Jinping as if he wasn't elected. I mean, the kind of elections uh, you need to go through to become Xi Jinping in China, from the lowest uh, Chinese street up the uh, echelons of local parties, community parties, right through uh, the uh, country with uh, arguably the largest uh, GDP in the world under purchasing uh, power parity. It's certainly not inherited. Um, I don't know which inherited uh, ones can you think of. Uh, I'm North thinking Korea. like Kim Jong-un, North Korea. Uh, I'm thinking he comes to mind. Um, it's probably one of the ones that is, that's, is out the most. I mean, it's very difficult to get uh, information about North Korea, isn't it? All we know is uh, about North Korea is arguably uh, propaganda because it's in the interests of NATO countries to build up armaments and spend public money in European Union nations and in the United States to fight this unknown person. And we know that uh, the Korean people, uh, they lost 20% of their entire population, men, women, and children, because of the killing by American and British soldiers. And we know that North Korea prides itself on saying that will never happen again. So I'm not saying we know that much about him. We do, I suppose, know that uh, the only president that's really taken seriously the threat that North Korea poses to the United States and Presumably that was shown to uh, shown to Biden. Biden knew about it. Shown to Trump. It obviously shocked Trump that a missile could hit Los Angeles uh, at a relatively uh, short order. We know that Trump tried to talk to uh, Kim Jong Un, and we know how hated uh, Trump was for trying to negotiate some kind of peace. Okay, so I have to finally, you know, this last question with you. I want to talk on the flip side. You see a lot of left wing politicians like Justin Trudeau. Jacinda Ardern, wielding a lot of authoritarian power. Ardern is in New Zealand, and she seems, you know, kind of uh, even. She can sometimes be very strong, sometimes uh, a, a little bit uh, less of, of a bullish figure. There's, with very strict COVID lockdowns, Trudeau and his administration with the response to the trucker protest, do you agree with these authoritarian actions? And if so, why don't these leaders get the bad rap of these so-called strongman leaders we have been discussing? Because we haven't put those two necessarily in the strongman category. I mean, I wouldn't call Jacinda Ardern or Trudeau left-wing in the slightest. I see them as extreme right-wing politicians. Interesting. Uh, Trudeau, who only in the past few months was exposed as uh, having a secret service that was sending uh, sex slaves to ISIS, British schoolgirls to ISIS. That was a story not covered by many media. Uh, I see Ju Justin Trudeau as extremely right-wing and as a person who uh, certainly impoverishes the poor of Canada and otherwise is an absolute servant to Antony Blinken's foreign policy. Uh, as for Jacinda Ardern, she's a slave of NATO. Uh, she is endangering her country by its opposition uh, to the superpower of uh, where she lives, China, which uh, 
Is it on the left? I suppose it's a communist party that runs it. Uh, Jacinda Ardern and Trudeau are both extreme right-wing uh, uh, populists, arguably. Uh, but of course, the media doesn't want to see it like that because they do play well on identity issues of uh, sexism, racism, and anti-LGBTQ issues, uh, as, if, uh, as if Trudeau's uh, support for the destruction of Syria didn't kill women and LGBTQ people, and Jacinda Ardern's uh, uh, basing of uh, troops in New Zealand and uh, wholesale belief in Anthony Blinken's uh, worldview isn't going to endanger women and people of LGBTQ status. Um, it's all a lie. Uh, well, we're going to have to save our debate as to whether or not Justin Trudeau is left or right wing. I kind of might disagree with you on that, but that is a conversation I know that we can have in the future. Ashton Matanzi, always enlightening, a lot of things to think about. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Scotty. I must admit, it's kind of naive to compare the leaders of yesterday to those of today. You know, the seven deadly sins have been around from the very beginning, and throughout history, we later come to find out various leaders were guilty of many of them, mainly because of the lack of communication outlets at that time. Big difference between information being spread via word of mouth and stone tablets and the World Wide Web, as well as camera phones. Now, could you imagine the tabloid headlines for the wife of the emperor, Claudius, who had a contest with a prostitute on who could sleep with more men in one day? And I doubt any woman would have accepted a date with King Henry VIII if the beheading of his second wife was live-streamed on social media. But it's not just scandals which would have been able to be shown, but also leaders in their natural state. And it would be interesting to see if the people would still support if they knew the true intelligence and demure. Of course, there are more leaders today who are put in power by the people than by birth than yesteryears, which leads us to believe that a leader is supposed to be reflective of what their elected base feels is needed to best handle society and the various challenges present at that time. Sometimes the people get it right, and sometimes they get it wrong on election day. But sadly, as the integrity of elections around the world are becoming questioned, then the consensus of the people might not be considered the best measure of determining whether the best person for the job was actually picked. But only time will tell. This has been your 360 View. Thanks for watching.